Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. The final stages of death. I'm Jason Horton. I'm Rebecca Lieb. And this is Ghost Town. In August of 1886, Parisians read in the local newspaper, Le Journal Illustré, about Enfant de la Rue de Verbois, a tragic tale of a four-year-old girl with a single mysterious bruise on her hand. They were riveted, obsessed. So they rushed to see the story unfold, pushing their way through hour-long lines, horrible traffic, street fights, and criminal pickpockets to see Enfant de la Rue de Verbois themselves. I know what you're thinking. Is it a play? A famous portrait? No. Well, not really. In the five days after Le Journal Illustré broke the story of L'Enfant, everyone flocked to a curtained exhibition room. There, behind a thick glass wall, sat the body of the four-year-old, propped up, posed in a tiny dress. There were other bodies next to her, some naked with a sheet for modesty, some fully clothed. This display of actualized death was some of the darkest and most popular entertainment of the time. And we're talking about the mid-18th century, so pretty dark. Today, we'll be taking a trip to the famous Paris Morgue. And I'm not being hyperbolic when I say that the Paris Morgue, known as Paris's only free theater, would get wild, even dangerous, if one of the bodies was well known. According to an account in the book Cinema and the Invention of Modern Life, trying to see L'Enfant de Rue de Verbois went something like this, quote, The mob rushes the doors with savage cries. Fallen hats are tromped on, parasols and umbrellas are broken, and yesterday women fell sick having been half suffocated. At that point, authorities estimated that over 150,000 people had visited the morgue to see Enfant de la Rue de Verbois. So how did going to the morgue become one of the most popular Friday night Parisian hangs? Well, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you aren't that surprised. But really, the Paris morgue was a product of a specific time and place. Starting as a modest, efficient government building, by the end of the 19th century, 
the morgue had become one of Paris's most popular tourist attractions. The origin of the word morgue appears around the 16th century in France, used as a verb to mean examining, judging, judging bodies mostly, pretty much the act of and making sure you were dead. Bodies were morgued by jailers before they were stored in a kind of low-security jail area. Even then, the tradition of viewing the dead was important. We'll get to why later. Parisians would go to look at the bodies through a small window. It was an interaction, a dialogue of sorts, between the residents of Paris and the state. The Paris morgue was built on the Ile de la Cité, the island in the River Seine that's been the geographical and historical center of Paris ever since the 4th century. Its original building opened to the public in 1804, and then the morgue was moved to a larger building right behind the iconic Notre Dame in 1864, because, well, more bodies. <laughs> the location of the morgue was no accident. It needed to be in the center of the city and close to the Seine for a couple of reasons. The first reason is that most of the bodies were off the island streets or fished out of the water, so with the morgue right next to the water, the bodies could be easily taken right there or right out and straight inside for processing, not much hassle. The second, so it was convenient to come visit. Not only did the morgue need bodies to process, it literally needed the public to help do its job. Just like the first ones in the 1500s, morgues were only successful with some crowdsourcing. That's where the people of Paris come in. The living people, I should say. Europeans at that time didn't have any kind of ID, identifiers at all. The only things they had were recognizability to others. Is that a word? Recognizability? And maybe, if they were upper class, custom clothes that they would always wore that someone they knew, a friend or co-worker or family member, might hopefully identify them from. At that time, Paris was at a crossroads of old and new. In the late 1800s, it was truly the center of the entertainment world, and the city was more connected than ever. At the dawn of the Belle Epoque, the beautiful era, it's kind of the time that turned Paris into what we think of as Paris when we think of Paris. The era included Impressionism, the construction of the Eiffel Tower, the Metro, the Opera, Can-Can Dancers, Absinthe. It's even when the Lumiere brothers introduced Paris to the first movie. It was pretty dirty, fascinating, creative time in Paris's life. With that, the morgue became one of the places to see and be seen. It was also convenient because it was open seven days a week, from dawn to 6 p.m., so gawking at bodies fit within a lot of 19th century Parisian schedules. So what actually happened when you put on your petticoats, boots and hats, and made a visit to the morgue? Well, you'd wait in line for a very long time to see bodies that had been dropped off, stripped, inspected, and frozen behind the scenes. When you finally entered the building, it was free, you'd go down a long stone hallway to a viewing area, the display room. In the display room, there were two rows of bodies made up of tilted black marble slabs on wheels, cheated out towards the viewing area. The bodies were mostly naked with a sheet covering them, unless they were high-profile bodies. Those would wear clothing to provide the maximum amount of potential recognition. However, when possible, the naked bodies would be paired with a mannequin to showcase the body's clothing, again, whatever they were found in before they were brought in for processing, for identification purposes. Before 1862, cold water dripped onto the bodies from a tap in the ceiling to slow down decomposition, giving the cadaver's skin a kind of clammy and bloated appearance. 
To add to the constant dripping, giant slabs of ice would sit on a shelf on the top of the viewing area, giving a kind of a rainy day zombie vibe to the whole experience. After 1882, a new technology, refrigeration, helped the bodies and the overall viewing experience, allowing up to 50 visitors to more comfortably observe the better preserved bodies. The bodies in the Paris morgue would stay there for about three days if they weren't identified, as by day three, decomposition set in pretty hard. At that point, again, based on how high-profile or rich the cadaver seemed, a photograph or wax cast would be taken. As visitors left the morgue, there was one last disturbing opportunity for fun. Like a museum has a gift shop, the morgue had its own morgue emporium, morgorium, never mind, selling, you guessed it, the clothes and items worn by the dead. These clothes would come from the identified and unidentified bodies alike. You could buy a hat, a cigarette box, shoes, pretty much anything. All clothes were made custom in the 1800s, and they were not cheap. So going to the morgue to get yourself a new suit or a hat wasn't the worst idea in the world, and the prices were right if you were willing to wash the blood, brain matter, or whatever else was on the item off on your own time. Yes, they didn't even clean the items before putting them up for sale. All proceeds would go to the city of Paris, and likely that expensive refrigeration needed to keep all of those bodies as fresh as possible. The whole experience to me, as someone who loves this stuff, obviously seems surreal, to say the least. This is an excerpt from a piece from an American visitor to the Paris morgue named Arthur Mark Cummings, who visited from Harvard University in 1887 and was, let's just say he was affected. Quote, brutal gashed and swollen faces, wide gaping mouths, jagged, discolored teeth, sunken cheeks, knitted brows, dead, sodden eyes, Faces of men and faces of women, faces of the young and faces of the old, faces which reek with slime of years of vice and misery and despair, such is the sight which greets the visitor upon the entrance to the Paris morgue. For immediately in front of the entrance hangs two large frames in which are displayed the photographs of the unclaimed dead, photographs taken from the drenched corpses as they lay upon the rude beds which the morgue assigns to its guests. And such another collection of portraits the world does not contain. Some of the corpses have been in the water a day, some a week, some nobody knew how long. Some were clothed, some were naked, some were lacked an arm or a leg or a head. Some lacked everything except a single leg or arm, which came up in the net of some fisherman, with a few rags of cloth clinging to it. An eager throng is surging to and fro in front of a long, low window. Men are crowding and elbowing each other. Old hags are pointing towards the glass and croaking to one another. Pretty women are gazing with white faces of pity, but with nonetheless thirsty greediness upon some fascinating spectacle. Little children are being held aloft in strong arms that they too may see the dreadful thing. The objects of interest are four corpses, which are lying upon iron frameworks behind the glass their heads propped high, their jaws agape, and their eyes staring in the grim majesty of death as they gaze unflinchingly upon the guests who are thronging to this grisly reception. One is an old woman whose skull has been split by some tremendous blow and yawns in ghastly redness. Another is a young girl who is dressed in silk and whose dark hair is still coiled neatly. A middle-aged man, short, thick-set, and resolute-looking, has dropped dead in the street. He wears a blue blouse, and his cap is still upon his head. His sleeves rolled up disclose two arms of unusual muscularity. 
This man died hard. Yes, and yet his death was infinitely easier than his life had been, for the soles of his shoes were worn quite through. What was his name? Whence came he, and whither was he going? What strong, strong impulse drove him to such a journey? Whom was he seeking, or from whom did he flee? No scrap of paper tells. Let's take a break. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey there, campers. My name's Kimmy. And my name's Ryan. We've noticed you stumbled upon our mystical campfire, so that means there's a solid chance you have some questions. Like... Why am I here? What's going on? And why are there cryptid and folklore creatures everywhere? And should I be worried about the Mothman dressed as a camp counselor swooping down to steal my s'mores? Well, you've stumbled upon the Alorian Campgrounds. Alorian is a folklore podcast where every episode we dive into the history and lore of different creatures and cryptids you see wandering around these campgrounds. And during each episode, we discuss the sightings, encounters, poems, history, fun, facts, and pop culture focused on our campfire topic that week. We hope through shared experience we can learn and make light about all the unknown corners of the universe. So come take a seat around the campfire, make yourself at home, and listen to Alluring Today anywhere podcasts are heard. Or watch videos on YouTube, or even go to our website, Alluring.com. That's A-L-O-R-E-I-N-G.com. Hi, hello. How are you doing? Hello. We're checking in. I'm fine. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Oh, thanks. It's new. Yeah. Have I gotten taller? I I guess I have. Oh, you're sitting down. Yeah. I'll say yes. I'm going to say yes. Why not? Take life by the horns. Yeah. Say yes. Dive in. We're we're a beacon of positivity in the middle of glorious content. You're welcome. (laughs) We hope you're well. We want to say hello. I guess a what's up. Oh, shit. What? You think they deserve a was up? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay. A kickback was up. 
to anyone who's listening, right. supporting the show, spreading the good word, right. telling a friend. Yeah. Telling an enemy. Yeah. Call them up. Call them on the phone and tell them about the podcast. Go, yeah, they've been, oh, Ghost Town, they've been talking about you. Ooh, yeah. they're saying Ooh. bass. You better listen to many, many episodes. Yeah. Ooh, to find out what it is. Them. Yeah, you yeah. better. Yeah. Or uh, you don't know what's going to happen. Oh, if you listen to them too many times, it overloads the system and they go <laughs> they go to prison. So oh, do it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time you listen, they get money taken out of their account. That's how it works. Yeah. Don't ask me any more questions. Thank you. That, I think that actually happens anyway when we do that. <laughs> That's true. For some reason, money goes out of the account. Us. Yeah. So, oh, whatever. Sucking us dry. We. Rock the vote. <laughs> this is a yeah. Very, this is a very 90s break. We rock the house, but we also rock the vote. Okay. Okay. I like I that. I want my MTV. <laughs> Tamagotchi. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now we're all over the damn place. I'm, I'm acting like, oh, yeah, in the 90s, I was really young. I was like 30 in the 90s. <laughs> also, you went straight to Tamagotchi, which is 20 years later. <laughs> is it? I don't know. Tamagotchi is definitely like... Uh, 2005 Mid, uh, to 2000. Are you sure? I think it's a little bit later than what you're Look it up. thinking. All right. Like, do it I now. Know, right in right real time. I'm going to say I'm going to say 95. All right. And you do you say 2005? Yeah. Okay. Then we're going to get some real time. Place your bets now, okay, people. Okay, better Tamagotchi popularity. Okay. Um Place your bets. Uh when was it released? Uh Tamagotchi release. All right. Let's just do release. <laughs> you can't spell Tamagotchi. It was released in 1996, so you are right, but I believe it got popular later, or it just got popular <laughs> in my hometown in Wisconsin oh, much later, okay. much later. So you were also- I got a Tamagotchi, and I my brain was anchored to when I got it, when everyone around me had it, so that's- Wisconsin, You know me with dates. 10 years later. I'm right, pretty yeah. good with dates. All right, if you bet on Jason, someone owes you money. Yeah. It's not me, though. <laughs> Unless you bet specifically <laughs> on Rebecca's hometown. Being mentioned. Yeah. Then you win. It cu- it came with a, every case of Schlitz. Right, <laughs> <laughs> you get a Tamagotchi and a Schlitz and one Lucy. <laughs> Bring it to your mom or or smoke it yourself. That's your choice. Well, our favorite Tamagotchis are in the government. That's right. Yeah, they Tamagotchis have been in the government. It's deep state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tamagotchi number one, Ashley Matson. I I fed you. Tamagotchi number two, Cat Joselle. Would you like a walk? Tamagotchi number three, Dara Rosenzweig. You were sick and I healed you. And our governor, <laughs> who's Pokemon number one. Yeah. <laughs> Taking it up a notch. Rebecca's like that. Pokemon came out in 2017, <laughs> late 2017. <laughs> uh, no Pokemon references. Let's see how this goes. Avian Noble. You have graduated at a Pokemon gym. They have yes, gyms. They do. Well, there you go. Pokemon Go is pretty recent. Oh, that's yeah, that's pretty recent. They, we, I was uh, pushing 40 and doing Pokemon Go. <laughs> Anyway, if you want no ads, no chit chat, only the good stuff, bonus episodes, you can binge all night long. Mm -hmm. You want to go all night long? Why would you? It's very tiring. (laughs) I'm exhausted. Yeah. A couple of these episodes listened to are very tiring, but Mm -hmm. go for it. Marathon it. Go to patreon.com slash ghost town pod slash Pikachu. 
dot gov. <laughs> okay, let's get back to Let, it. Let's get back into it. I want to remind you that the whole idea of the Paris Morgue wasn't explicitly for entertainment. Again, not the hours, not the auspicious hallways, the big tilted slabs, the mannequins, but for trying to identify as many unidentified Parisian bodies as possible. And some of the time it worked. Sometimes people would recognize a body of a friend, a coworker, or a neighbor, or even someone they've murdered themselves. Murderers coming face-to-face with their victims inside the Paris morgue became such a thing that police often brought suspects to the morgue to confront their victims, thinking the shock of seeing what they'd done, or the results of what they'd done after days of decay, would trigger a fair amount of emotion, ultimately leading to a confession. These confessions were common enough that in 1888, the Paris morgue installed electric lights with, quote, the idea of increasing the effect produced upon murderers upon being confronted with their victims. Under the effect of the lights, the confrontations are expected to be much more effective. But the actual identifying of bodies and the morgue doing its job was eclipsed by the public's desperate need for spectacle. French novelist Emile Zola called it a, quote, show that was affordable to all. On rare occasions, when there were no bodies on display, angry crowds complained that, quote, death allowed itself an intermission that day without thinking of their good pleasure. As usual, the media and cultural moment certainly didn't derail the morgue's popularity. Parisian newspapers often fed the narrative around a mysterious body, speculating on their story and identity. Based on how it was covered by the news, some of the bodies became celebrities themselves, like Enfant de la Rue de Verbois, drawing up to 40,000 people in one single day. The most famous corpse to come out of the Paris morgue probably wasn't a cadaver there at all, and has a kind of mythical story around it, one that affects us to this day. L'Inconnu de la Seine was a young, beautiful woman, rumored to come from Germany, Russia, maybe the UK, before committing suicide by drowning in the Seine in the mid-1880s. Already with a mysterious origin story, L'Inconnu de la Seine, the unknown woman of the Seine, arrived at the morgue with symmetrical features, braided hair, and a kind of coquettish smile on her face. An assistant was so taken with her beauty that he took a cast of her face for his own pleasure, I guess? Before long, copies of the death mask began appearing for sale at kiosks on the streets of Paris, becoming a muse for artists, novelists, and poets, all eager to speculate on her identity. Over the years, Rilke, Louis Argon, Man Ray, and Vladimir Nabokov all allude to her in their work. This cast was the root of a trendy fascination with death masks that peaked in the 1920s, and many Parisian households contained a knockoff death mask of L'Inconnu de la Seine as a household piece of decoration. In 1955, a plastic toy designer and manufacturer named Asmund Lerdal saved the life of his young son, Tor, by grabbing his son's body from the water before he went unconscious. When he was approached to make a training aid for the newly invented technique of CPR, cardiopulmonary resuscitation, his son's brush with death made him immediately say yes. When designing the torso and face simulating an unconscious patient, Asmund wanted his mannequin to be natural, calming, non-threatening. Remembering a mask on the wall of his grandparents' house many years earlier, he decided that the Inconnu de la Seine would be the perfect face of Recessi Anne, the model for today's CPR doll. 
Now, while the story is very cool, most people refute the idea, believing that the original cast for the first CPR dummy was actually taken from a real live woman for a fee, and not a beautiful dead one for a story. But still, I'd like to believe the latter. Like in Canu de la Seine, the heyday of the Paris morgue permeated all parts of society and culture, both in Paris and beyond. Artists drew their inspiration from the morgue, and deceased young women lying naked on dissection tables became a common artistic theme. Every tourist guidebook directed visitors to the morgue for a European experience unlike any other. With the rise of a more puritanical point of view when it came to death and dying, the Paris morgue finally closed its doors to the public in 1907. People began to have concerns about the ethics of body viewing and how much the public enjoyed an activity like it. Again, an activity that was supposed to be for practical purposes. But when you think about Paris and think to where it was in that moment in time, not quite a hundred years past its own bloody revolution, people were still obsessed with death and primarily escaping it. In fact, according to author Taryn Kane, people were still being executed in public until 1939 in Paris. Pneumonia and flu were still hugely fatal, and infant mortality was at an all-time high. This was also the time that people were obsessed with death photography, as portraits were expensive things in and of themselves, but getting much more widespread and commonplace. With mortality rates so high, like I said, it was a common thing for European and American families to pose with a recently deceased family member, likely a child who died of disease or infection. Everyone would dress up for the photo and posed with a deceased child who would finally be still enough for photography's minutes-long exposure process and be immortalized with their living family forever. Now where the Paris morgue used to sit is a Holocaust memorial steeped in a tree-lined quiet park. A much different feel than the days of visitors lining up to look at bodies, the area is a far cry from what it once was. Of course, as a culture, as a society, we're still obsessed with death, and if any of this has disturbed you, don't forget that the Body World's exhibits, and exhibits like it, still pull in huge crowds. In fact, Body World said that in 2019 it opened in over 140 cities that same year and celebrated its 50 millionth visitor. Knowing our audience, though, I'm sure you're not surprised by any of this. After all, you're listening to Ghost Town. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.